You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Uh, where this is the penultimate episode of Musketeer Space. I do love that word. Um, in between this and my next serial, which will be an original, brand new, uh, kind of sword and sorcery with a difference, uh, <laughs> uh, serial, which I'll be starting next month, The River Divine. Uh, so in between, I'm going to do a QA and a uh, podcast episode. So if you ever wanted to ask me any questions, uh, hear their answers, I'm going to have a post up on Patreon where you can chip in and uh, I'll have it open to the public if you're not a Patreon supporter. So if you go find Patreon Tansy RR, uh, it'll be one of the very recent posts on there and you can ask me questions. If you get in later than me recording that episode, I'll save the questions for next time, I guess. But yeah, I'm excited to be doing a fresh new serial. I'm sure I remember how to do this. Starting a brand new world, new characters. Uh, it's it's going to be great. A little bit scary, as always, reading a story that's not quite finished yet. But as it turns out, reading a story aloud, when you're still in the process of writing it, is a very good part of the editorial process. As I discovered with Musketeer Space, which has been out since... 2015 I am horrified at how many typos and errors I found in the text while reading this aloud over the last couple of years uh, so I will be updating uh, the ebook versions uh, possibly also the print version though actually at the moment Musketeer Space only exists in print as a very whopping great hardback which was produced thanks to my Patreon which funded the project in the first place uh, I've always had in mind that I'd like to do paperback editions that will have to be divided into two volumes because it's too big it's too long it's a ridiculous length it's not one novel it was always actually written in two halves um, so I think one of my 2024 projects is actually going to be sourcing some new cover art getting it set up as two really nice uh, hardbacks with a matching novella for Joyu. Uh, so if you're thinking about getting a hard copy, um, you can wait till then and make do with the ebook. Uh, if you do desperately want the hardcover copy that was released in 2015, which has a lot of errors in the text, then you'll have a little while to buy that too. And then I'll probably be taking that off the market because why up? it with new text when I'm going to be replacing it anyway um, I don't know I'm going to think about it I, I could just update the hardback with new text but I like sell one every six months so I'm not sure I'll, I'm thinking about it still what I want to do but definitely there will be paperbacks at some point in the future I've just got to you know pick a cover artist so that's always fun Thank you for sticking with me with this very, very long marathon uh, with a couple of breaks um, recording of Musketeer Space. It has been lovely to revisit these favourite characters and this story. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to be going back to the format of novellas, uh, slightly shorter stories and um, mixing up new fiction with reprint, which will continue, continue over the next couple of years at least. 
uh, funded as always by my Patreon. So, penultimate episode of Musketeer Space. Chapter 61. Tell me about it, stud. The sun-kissed were gone. It would take weeks, months perhaps, to dismantle the war. It would be days before the priests and sabres and musketeers and the regents and cardinal and amiral accepted the evidence that the sun-kissed were indeed gone. Not leaving, not in the process of withdrawing from the battle zone in their many ships, but gone, as if they'd never been there at all. It all happened within five minutes of the execution of my lord at the hands of his own people. The population of the ocean world of truth had survived the siege well enough, with surprisingly few casualties. All members of the fleet with truth listed as their birthplace were given leave to visit the planet and their loved ones. Porthos, who had left truth long ago, felt no need to take up the offer. Her family was right here, and they needed her. There were briefings and meetings and reports to be given. Amiral Treville took it on herself to meet personally with each of her musketeers. The cardinal and regents had better things to do than attend such meetings. Porthos did not relax. Surely all of them were on the cardinal's shit list now. Athos and D'Artagnan, as the two members of the royal fleet who'd been awake during the execution, and Porthos could kick them both for admitting that on the record, were likely to be blamed for the failure to follow through on the mission as it had been presented. Sure, the sun-kissed were gone, but the cardinal and all the regents were supposed to have been the ones who made the grand gesture and ended the war, not two musketeers of slightly dubious reputation. No summons came to explain Athos and Dana's side of the story, to the crown or the church. A heavy sense of unfinished hung over them all. There were only so many quiet evenings of wine and subdued conversation they could survive before one of them, probably Athos, let's face it, cracked and started causing havoc. Porthos missed Paris satellites so much that it was a permanent ache in her heart. She wanted her own bed and her kitchen and her boyfriends, and the freedom to spend the occasional half-day completely apart from her dearest friends, without worrying they were about to explode from emotional repression. Finally, their orders came in to report to Luna Palais for regular duty. With a few wreck hours to fill before their mandatory pre-flight sleeping shift, Porthos invited Athos, Aramis and Dana to join her on the hoyden. Bonnie provided soup, bread, cake and wine and left them to it. After supper, the four of them piled onto Porthos's bunk with the last of the wine. She made sure that Athos and Dana, the two most in need of actual comfort, were properly squished in the middle. Let's talk about something else, said Dana, her eyes half-closed. Something a million miles from the war and the rest of it. So Porthos told her favourite amusing story about the early days, when she and Aramis were learning to be musketeers together and the scrapes they got into. 
After a while, Athos joined in with descriptions of the most outrageous bar fights they'd taken part in across Paris. When he ran out of breath, it was Aramis's turn to entertain. Finally, Dana was asleep, curled up in a small tight ball over Porthos's feet. Aramis was nearly there herself, her long hair spilling over Athos's shoulder. She'll be all right, she murmured. She'll mend. Porthos kept her steady gaze on Athos, wondering if the same was true for him. Athos silently toasted her with one of the wine flasks. Did you know he had a child, he said, quite the last thing she'd expected to come out of his mouth. Porthos blinked at him. My lord, really? Is that even possible with alien biology? Athos shrugged. I looked her up. Morgan de Winter, daughter of Delia and Vaniel. She's three years old, heir to the Countess of Claric. Porthos swallowed, not sure what the right thing was to say in this instance. So be, the Countess will look after her. She doesn't seem the maternal type, he said. Very few new aristocrats are. That's why we hire nannies. There's a special insight into your childhood. He gave her an ironic smile. Aramis says, I don't share enough. It's true, muttered sleepy Aramis. Porthos thought about it for a minute and nudged Athos with the foot that wasn't currently being used as Dana's pillow. Does that mean that in 20 years we're going to have some half-blood alien countess coming after us for revenge? Wouldn't surprise me. Let's hope someone teaches her defence properly first. Athos blew out a breath, staring at the ceiling. She was probably a pawn in his game. Another way for him to bind himself to the de Winter family. Athos wasn't calling his former husband my lord, Porthos noticed. He never used a name at all. Were you... If you'd stayed married, if you'd never found out who he was, would you have had children together? In another life, Athos had a new aristocrat title. An estate to pass down, after all, just like B. de Winter. Athos gave her a thin smile. We'd talked about it. Just talk, I realise now. We'd have had to use capsules, and if he'd donated DNA, it would have revealed he wasn't human, so no. We would not have had children. At the time, having a family seemed like a genuine future possibility. He made a face. I would have been terrible at it. Hmm, said Porthos. Who wasn't so sure after watching him take Dana under his wing over the last several months? She'd never thought of Athos as paternal, but the role of mentor suited him, however reluctant he'd been at first. Aramis used one hand to shove her long hair back out of her face. You should talk to Chevreuse. She muttered into Athos's chest. Athos patted her vaguely. Go back to sleep. Aramis got that pouty look on her face, something Porthos had never seen her do sober, and poked him in the ribs. No, I mean it. 
you need to talk. Porthos groaned. Oh, this isn't drunken confession time, is it? I can't cope with drunken confession time. No one cares that you slept with Chev, Athos. We're all over it. Athos gave her a betrayed look. You knew about that too. I was there for at least half your drunken confessions. After the fourth time, I told Aramis we should write you a note. You could read in the morning when you sobered up. But she was still finding it funny. He glared at her. I hate you both. Aramis hauled herself up, trying to look serious. In my defence, it was extremely funny. She tried to poke Athos in the ribs again, but he turned her hand aside, slinging an arm around her shoulders instead. Aramis sighed. I don't like you being the least drunk one in the room. It puts out the balance of the solar system. I'm catching up, he told her, tapping her on the nose with his wine flask. Not fast enough. Aramis rummaged around in the bed, looking for something. Where's the clamshell that was here a minute ago? We need to call Chevreuse. About what? Athos asked in alarm. Please tell me you're not matchmaking me with your ex-girlfriend because we spent one drunken night together nearly a year ago. I cannot emphasise enough how much I don't want you to matchmake me. Porthos shifted around in bed and discovered something hard under her elbow. Found the clamshell! Call her, said Aramis, and this poke turned into more of a punch in Athos's stomach. Ugh, stop it. Why? Because, said Aramis, speaking very carefully and slowly, so as not to slur her words, Chevreuse and Maubazon had a baby after she left Paris. Athos winced. What's that got to do with... Good for them. All the more reason to leave them alone. He was retreating into his usual polite disinterest, one of the many layers of armour he relied upon. But oh, Porthos saw where this was going. And it was amazing. She clicked the clamshell open in anticipation. Three seconds after Aramis said the words, I found out very recently that Montbazon isn't the biological father. And you know, Chev didn't do blokes very often. All I'm saying is, you two should definitely have a conversation sometime soon. Porthos snapped a picture of the startled expression that crossed Athos's face. Porthos, he said a moment later, very calmly, I am going to make you eat that clamshell if you don't delete that image right now. Nuh-uh, said Porthos, shoving the unconscious Dana off her foot so she could leap to her feet. This one's going in the permanent album, possibly printed on a mug. She made it as far as the cockpit before Athos brought her to the ground, wrestling the clamshell out of her hands, and she was laughing so hard she didn't even mind. Also, she'd already uploaded the image safely to the Flicknet servers, so... Hey, said Aramis, leaning in the doorway as she watched them tussle. Got any sobriety patches? Why? Porthos howled. Athos held the clamshell triumphantly over his head, and she tickled him, just to see him crumple in on himself.
The Cardinal summoned Dana to a meeting. Porthos and Athos both went very still, agreeing to a silent truce. Only D'Artagnan? Athos asked. Only D'Artagnan, Aramis said grimly. Well, fuck, said Porthos. The sobriety patches did their work in making Dana respectable for this appointment, but respectable wasn't the same as prepared. She was tired, deep in her bones, and no amount of sobriety could fix that. Being sad was exhausting. Dana's initial shock over Conrad's death had worn off, leaving a heaviness behind. Guilt and dread was packed in around the sadness, and it made for a deeply uncomfortable cocktail of feelings. The death of Milord at the hands of his own people had provided her with no further emotional response. That probably wasn't a good sign. Honestly, Dana couldn't care less what the Cardinal had to say. She cared a little that it was Roe who'd turned up, smart in the dress reds of a sabre, to escort her to this meeting. Am I under arrest? Dana thought to say. Roe lifted a single shoulder in a gesture that was utterly unhelpful. Honestly, Buttercup, I've no idea. I go where I'm told. Yes, Dana said sourly. That is a thing I know about you. There was no sign of Athos. Aramis and Porthos had promised to sit on him, to prevent him crashing the meeting out of guilt or self-sacrifice or what the hell ever. Dana fidgeted with the studs on her wrist as she stood waiting outside the Cardinal's office for 45 minutes after the appointment time. Someone wanted her to know exactly how unimportant was her place in the solar system. Rose stood with her, barely moving or speaking. You're still pissed off, aren't you? Dana blurted finally. The sun kiss knocked you unconscious and you missed it all. Roe gave her a filthy look. Maybe I'm pissed off because if I'd seen and heard what happened, you'd have a credible witness to defend you. I don't know if you're going to get out of this one. The Cardinal is furious that the sun-kissed made her look well. Irrelevant. Dana lifted her chin. Like you would have helped me anyway. Roe rolled her eyes at her. Yep, keep thinking of me as the villain, Buttercup. That's such a constructive attitude. Her calm chirruped. The Cardinal will see you now. Marvellous, Dana growled. Fun times for all. The Cardinal's office on Shallow Station was filled with plants, flowering succulents, which made the air taste spicy on the tongue. Ah, D'Artagnan, said Her Eminence setting aside a clamshell to pay attention to the young musketeer. So good of you to make time for me. I've been expecting you to take an interest in what happened on the Stars Divine, Dana said bluntly. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw Roe huff impatiently at her lack of tact. Indeed, said Her Eminence, steepling her elegant hands. I read the reports presented to Admiral Treville. You can understand how concerned I am. 
the two pilots under my colleague's command, were directly responsible for losing a vital political prisoner during a time of war. What war? said Dana. The war's over. The sun-kissed left. You're welcome. This time, she actually saw Rose slap herself on the forehead. Fine, she wasn't doing herself any favours. But she was sick of pretending that the Cardinal herself hadn't been directly responsible for half of my lord's destructive hijinks. Captain Lieutenant Athos has a very troubling record. Her eminence went on. So many marks against his name for brawling, for behaviour ill-befitting an officer of the royal fleet. And of course there's his known association with the missing prisoner, which makes his culpability in this matter so disturbing. I see, said Dana, leaning back in her chair. That's smart. You know how much I love my friends. I'd do anything to protect them. But you also know that Athos is Amiral Treville's darling. She'd fight tooth and nail to keep him. He's basically untouchable. But you think if you threaten him hard enough, I'll make the grand sacrifice to keep him from being prosecuted. Come, said her eminence. No one is speaking of prosecution. So you don't wish to arrest me? for delivering my lord into the hands of his own people. What then? You taking my commission? I thought only Admiral Treville could fire a musketeer. Of all the things Cardinal Richelieu could do to her, taking away the musketeers was almost as bad a threat as taking away Athos. A resignation letter has to come directly from the musketeer herself, the Cardinal stated. Dana actually laughed. I'm going to resign, am I? You said nothing to me today to scare me into that kind of desperate response. Cardinal Richelieu smiled, a thin, triumphant smile. Two musketeers who share a troubling sexual history with the escaped prisoner turn out to be the only witnesses to that prisoner's escape. The scope of scandal, combined with the success of the combined royal fleet in driving the sun-kissed invaders back where they came from, well, all that suggests that there is no need for musketeers to exist as a separate fleet any longer. We all serve the crown, don't we? Dana leaned back in her chair considering her words very carefully. What would Admiral Treville's role be in this brave new world of a united fleet? Ah, my dear Jean, well, I'm sure she would enjoy more time to spend with her grandchildren. Dana stared at the Cardinal. Out of the corner of her eye she saw Rose standing to attention, her face entirely neutral. I am surprised, Dana said finally, that you think it appropriate to blame the musketeers for the sun-kissed taking custody of their prisoner, considering we were working under your direct order. The cardinal's face went very still. It was fascinating. Not even a muscle twitched. 
The mission parameters were very specific, she said finally. Oh yes, said Dana, the verbal mission parameters that you gave to us via Special Agent Cho, or is it Captain Cho? I lose track. They were almost too specific. That's why it was so thoughtful of you, to allow us greater flexibility in our interpretation of those orders, thanks to your written contract. This time, it was only the Cardinal's eyebrows that moved, but boy, did they move. Say that again, she said coldly. Dana smiled and touched one of the studs along her wrist, the one that Athos had pressed upon her for this meeting. It was an expensive piece, a flat bead of platinum with a red fleur-de-lis stamped on it. At the swipe of Dana's fingertip, the words of the contract sprang up, glowing in the air between them. It is by my orders and for the good of crown and solar system that the bearer of this stud has done what they have done. Cardinal Richelieu, timestamp, 987398 red identity sealed the cardinal stared at the words and then at dana do you want a promotion captain lieutenant d'artagnan dana blinked rapidly taking in the change of tone uh, no thank you your eminence i'm still quite new you know how it is letting the ropes no promotions wanted there was a muffled snort from the direction of Roe. Dana kept her gaze fixed firmly forwards. As you were then, D'Artagnan, Cardinal Richelieu said, opening her clamshell again and making it clear that the musketeer was dismissed. We'll rattle along as we are for a while longer. Sounds like a plan, said Dana. She felt Roe tug at her sleeve and rose to her feet. See you back in Paris. I am sure our paths will cross from time to time, said the cardinal sardonically. Roe propelled Dana out of the office, and the door spiralled shut behind them. Just so you know, said Roe, in a steady voice as they walked down the corridor, that was insanely hot. Thanks, said Dana, still more concerned with putting one foot in front of the other without falling over. Wait. What? Roe took hold of Dana's shoulders, crowding her against the nearest wall, and kissing her like they were on a burning spaceship about to die. Dana gasped into the kiss, surprise giving way to hell, yes, want, and wound one arm around Roe's neck, reeling her in. Right, said Roe, as they broke apart. It's not the sabre uniform, is it? Because I hardly ever wear one of these. It's definitely not the uniform, said Dana, grinning at her. Okay, good to know. Ro raked her fingers through her long hair. Dana had never seen her looking nervous before. It was kind of great. I'll be seeing you, Buttercup. She gave Dana a half-mocking salute and strode away down the corridor. Dana stayed leaning against the wall a little longer, catching her breath. And yes, sure, she did watch very closely as Roe walked away. Hell, yes, want. Huh. 
Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional owners and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. Uh, see you next week for the final, final chapter of Musketeer Space. Thank you.